Good morning, everybody. And good morning, everybody at home. Yes, hi, Marvin. You think I need help? I need serious help. Got any polygrip? You got some out in the truck? Are you sure it's polygrip or is it caulking or something? Make sure those dudes stay in. Hey, I want to update everybody on what's going on with me. I've had many people ask me about it. Um, I'm, tomorrow I'm going to get my consult to see when I'm going to have surgery and what type. Evidently, they can do either two types of surgery, either laparoscopic or go in full-fledged with a knife. And so um, they said laparoscopic, it's quicker recovery time, but I may not be able to get it in so quick because evidently the robot is booked up. (laughs) And I asked them, can the robot make more robots? And they didn't think that was funny. (laughs) Glad you do. And... I was kind of nervous about that because what if the power went out or the computer went down while the robot was working on me? And I said, would it be kind of like, I said, I don't want that to happen. And so I'll find out tomorrow. And, uh, but during this time, if I'm down for a little bit, um, Rick Hayes is going to take over some of the duties for me. So for, for a bit while I'm, uh, recovering and stuff. So, uh, And uh, they said an important part of the recovery is homemade pie. So, um, hey, we all have to do our part. So, anyway, um, yeah, pie and cake. I don't know. I'll get with me afterwards and I'll specify that out. But, uh, so as I get going into this message today, I think we need to go to the Lord in prayer because I think he knows that I need it. So, Father, we just thank you for this day. Lord, I just ask and pray, Lord, that you would fill my mouth with the words that you want me to convey to my brothers and sisters today. Lord, I pray that every word would be edifying to you. And, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be upon me in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to share the love of Christ with others. And I just thank you, God, for this day. Amen and amen. Amen. So to set this up, um, it's been maybe two, three years that I taught on a Wednesday night. And um, it was a different subject, but we were talking about the Sea of Galilee. And um, just kind of how we look at that whenever we read it and everything. And unless you are one of these people that really read into it or get online and look at it, A lot of people don't realize um, that the Sea of Galilee, if you could compare it to a body of water around here, would be very comparable to Carlisle Lake. Um, It is about a third of the area bigger, and it's, uh, it's actually a little bit wider, but maybe just a little bit shorter, but it's much, much deeper. I think uh, the total depth, it's like 145 feet at the deepest. Carlisle Lake is about 35, 36 feet at the deepest. 
So uh, the sides are much steeper, but whenever we get into this story, it kind of puts it into perspective, doesn't it? What uh, the Sea of Galilee um, is kind of like. Back years ago, my dad was born in 1920, and whenever he was 20 years old, before his brother uh, entered into the war, uh, our family ground, some of our family ground, was in the Kaskaskia River bottoms down there, which would be smack dab in the middle of Carlisle Lake right now. And um, it was before they dammed up the, uh, the lake. And they were farmers, but one of the things they did was they did a lot of fishing. They used both trot lines, hoop nets, and they also did hogging. And I have a picture, I think I've got it in my office there, of a 64-pound flathead that they'd pulled out. And um, it kind of puts it in perspective because lots of you guys have posted pictures of different fish that you've got out of um, the different rivers and things like that. I know uh, Jim Catton, he, he fishes down on the uh, Ohio and Wabash down there in that area. Uh, Derek Trout has posted some amazing pictures of some of the fish he's got out of Wren Lake and just different ones. So we can kind of put this into relationship. Um, my uh, father was uh, born during the 20s, but then he grew up during the Depression. And uh, he, I remember him telling me that they would go and they would go down to the river and they would uh, take the, the wagon and the horses and they would set out trot lines and hoop nets and they would bring on in all these fish. And uh, the people that uh, didn't have a whole lot, um, that they would help to feed them fish and have big fish fries and stuff. And I thought, man, I'm just so glad that that's, that's kind of in my lineage of, uh, of that history. Um, there was a lot of people that, uh, that lived in town that they didn't have the ability to grow food and stuff like that, so that kind of helped to feed them. Um, Car- Carlisle Lake, very, very similar in a parallel to the Sea of Galilee as far as geographically and, and physically. Um, then it was 19 years ago, um, it was pretty quick after I first started coming here, um, Wes Hutchcraft, he took me and Mark Miller and Tony Young out to Wren Lake and he took us hogging for the first time. Now I was not very successful out there because, uh, you know, I'm a pretty manly guy. Hey, don't laugh at that, but I'm a pretty manly guy. But I was pretty squeamish when it come to putting my hand under the water into a, a hole in, underneath the old road there and not knowing what was under there. And so uh, I wasn't very successful, but Mark Miller, he um, had, to, had to show me up. <laughs> and uh, he ended up getting about a 27-pound uh, catfish out of there. But it was just such an amazing day. And I'll never forget that day, not because of the fish we caught, but because as we were in the water and this, the, the whole sun coming across the water and glistening and, you know, it, uh, I don't want to use the word it was romantic because it was four of us dudes out there. <laughs> but it was just a really, really awesome setting. And I'll never forget um, one part that has no spiritual meaning to it at all, but 
my job, because I was not a very good fisherman, was I held the stringer, and it was tied around my, my waist, and the fish were on it. And that stringer got caught up in some treetops, and I couldn't move for a bit. Well, while I was tangled up, Mark was down underneath the water, and this snake starts coming at me, just kind of like that. And I start panicking, and I can't get loose, and the snake barely veers off of me, and all of a sudden, Mark comes back up, and I was just as white as a ghost, and I said, snake, snake, but nobody got bit. But as we walked away from that lake, we got up and we were parked off, oh, maybe an eighth of a mile up, and we got up and we walked up, crawled across into the road and was carrying those fish, and we were soaking wet, and we had the biggest smile on our face, and it was like we were four little boys walking back from a fishing trip. And I was, I had in my mind... Um, the story throughout the Gospels of the calling of the first disciples. And I thought, man, this is just like, just like the disciples. And so that, that's always just kind of stuck in my mind, and it's helped me to kind of put things in perspective. Let's turn to our Bibles right now, to Matthew chapter 4. And we'll go through verse 18 and 22 and read some text here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The title of this is, Why Me? Why you, and why them? And it's about God calling us to be his disciples. So I want you to look to your neighbor, and I want you to look them square in the eyes, and I'm gonna, I want you to ask them, why did God call you right now? Why did God call you? Why did God call you? Why? He loves you? Why would God call me to be his disciple? Uh, am I any better than, than Peter or Andrew or John's or James? Why, why would he, why, why me? Because, you know, sometimes we have in our mind of, uh, some of us come from, from difficult backgrounds, and we think, I've got problems, I've got issues, and why would God use me? Why would God use them, those four fishermen? 
Well, I was looking into this, and, and I often relate to Peter so well. Um, one of the things that P- Peter had was uh, uh, he wasn't afraid to talk. He wasn't afraid to say something. And um, you know me, sometimes I can have a big mouth. And so that was one of the attributes that, um, that I think God used in Peter was he had to get the word out, didn't he? He had to get the word out. Um, one of the things is Peter was not afraid to take chances either. I know we give him a, a hard time at times whenever we read into the story, but Peter was not afraid to take chances. Now, I will tell you this. If you read out throughout the rest of the Gospels, you will see some other stuff in there about this same event. One of the things is that before this where Jesus says, come and follow me, it ain't like they didn't know who he was or anything like that, and they just said, oh, okay, and just followed a stranger. If you look in, in the Gospel of John, it, it, it will tell you in there that they already had heard him. They already knew of him. And, um, and so whenever Jesus called them to come and follow him, it wasn't like they were going after a complete, complete stranger that they knew nothing about. They already had recognized the person that he was, who he was. And so um, that comes from spending time with someone, doesn't it? When you spend time with someone, even just a little bit, you start to understand what their character is and who they are. And I think, you know, with this, ready to just up and leave everything to go and follow somebody, they knew, whether supernaturally or whatever, that Jesus was the real deal. He was the real deal. Don't follow someone who is not the real deal. We, we're tired of, of phony and fake in this world. We've been, been around it enough that you can spot a phony a mile away, can't you? Sometimes you can't, though. Sometimes you can't always. But how do you, how do you know whether someone's the real deal? I'll tell you how. By their fruits, you will know them. The fruit that they produce. So, Jesus being the real deal, um, they were not afraid to drop their nets and to just follow him. Uh, Peter quit the family business. And, you know, you see Peter having so many quotes in the Bible and and different conversations, and you don't see anything really about Andrew. Um, I guess two brothers, one that talked all the time, the other didn't get a chance to get a word in edgewise. Um, But Andrew probably said a lot that is not recorded that by his actions... His actions and his commitment says a lot, doesn't it? Um, Peter was also not afraid to step out of the boat and have just this almost stupid faith to be able to just go out and do whenever Jesus, when Peter said, told Jesus, said, said, you know, invite me out. And Jesus was like, come on out. And Peter was not afraid to step out of the boat. Like sometimes we overthink things, don't we? Amen. 
Sometimes, um, like, uh, just being able to do what God's called us to do, we tend to overthink things to the point to where we talk ourselves out of doing something. Um, sometimes not everything makes sense to us, but it might make sense to God. Peter, I, I, I've often been guilty of giving him a raw deal, but often I find myself in the same boat as him. John, in John chapter 20, it talks about the, whenever uh, the empty tomb and the girls discover that Jesus is, is already risen first. And John and Peter um, go running to check out to see what the deal is. Well, they start out at the same time, but the Bible says that John outrun Peter and got there first. And so that tells me that um, Peter was not the most physically fit person either because John was a faster runner. But it also says that John stopped and looked inside, and Peter just ran straight on in there. He didn't even stop. He just, he was not afraid. He was like, gosh, I have to see this. Because that empty tomb meant everything at that time. Without Jesus have risen from the grave, none of this rest would ever matter. Because that legitimized what Jesus had already said would happen up to that point. What, if it wasn't for the empty tomb, we would have no hope. Peter was not afraid of that. He was not afraid to fight, even though he would react in maybe, a, a, I mean, he cut off a dude's ear. Like, we just, we just don't go around with swords cutting off people's ears. But he was willing to fight uh, for the cause. And... Uh, You've got to commend a guy who is just, just ready to go to battle for his friends. And I'm not talking about just, just a physical fight, but a spiritual fight. So many of our friends and our colleagues and our family are in spiritual battles. Are we willing to go to battle with them against the enemy? Are we willing to stand next to them even whenever they're having struggles? Are we willing to do that? Well, I'm gonna tell you what, Orchardville Church, us as a whole, we're willing to stand next to our brothers and sisters and say, I'm here for you. If you're not willing to do that, it may not be the place for you. But if you need to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, I couldn't find a better body of believers to be with than right here. Peter may not have been the first round pick into what you would call a disciple, but he's exactly what God was looking for. James and John, exactly what God was looking for. Andrew, exactly what God was looking for. All the disciples, exactly what God was looking for. Me, I'm exactly what God was looking for. And you, you're exactly what God was looking for. One last time, turn to your neighbor and tell him you're what God was looking for.
Now, I mean no disrespect to Peter, but if God can make a disciple out of him, he can make a disciple out of me or you. You know, we, we, this, this term discipleship, we have looked at this in kind of a really a one-dimensional thing in churches. A lot of times we look at this term and we think of if we just, people get saved and then we put them in a class and then they're a disciple. Well, there's nothing wrong with putting them in a class and I, matter of fact, it's very important that um, discipleship have with getting into the word and educating them on the truth. That's very important. But we put that in a box a lot of times of discipleship. I've had different, different pastors and stuff ask me, what's your guys' discipleship plan and this and that. And we've had discipleship classes before and they were really good. But that's not all of it, is it? This, Rick just did the, the, um, the announcement about angel tree. Do you know that that is a big part of discipleship, is jumping in and helping out where the need is? Volunteering back in kids' church and teens, that is discipleship. Whenever you're willing to sacrifice just a little bit of your time to help someone else, you're learning to be more like Christ. Because that's what, if, if during discipleship, if we, if our character does not change, if we are not um, seeing a transformation, then that's not really discipleship. Discipleship is, uh, if I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm going to start to take on more of his character. And so there has to be some type of a transformation. Whenever, if you are, uh, before you're saved, if you're not ever volunteering to help do anything for anybody else, and then now you start making the move to do that, you're being transformed. Even whenever you don't feel like it, we can't go by feelings, even if you don't feel like it, you're being transformed. Your character is starting to be changed. Your habits are starting to be changed. And, you know, we don't... The Great Commission of going into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples and baptizing, that's not just a routine thing that we do. This is an ongoing thing of us growing and then sharing that, sharing that love of Christ with others so that they can do the same thing and so on and so on. So Jesus started with these first calling of these disciples so that it would be ongoing, so that the voice of his love would keep going out. Peter had weaknesses. All the disciples had weaknesses. But God uses our weaknesses for his glory. I said this a while back. Maybe it's just a couple of weeks ago. If God has healed you from something, you now have a responsibility to share that with others. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Lois, you used to have a walker in here just a week or so two ago, and now you've got a cane. So, 
Todd back here, he's got his hand up. Hallelujah. And I know there's many people all over this room who have been healed by God. And you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to share that with others. Don't be afraid of your weaknesses. The disciples had them. I have them. And God can turn that around and transform us into what he wants us to be. Now, here's one of the number one things, and this is such a super spiritual answer. I don't know if you guys can handle this. One of the things that all these disciples had in common that God was really able to use them, they made themselves available. It doesn't mean they weren't busy, because I tell you what, you can find out that if you want something done, who do you ask? Some of the most busiest people there is, and they'll get the job done. Make yourself available. If you want to be a disciple, make yourself available. Make yourself available to cook a meal for someone else, to bake a pie for a pastor, you know? <laughs> make yourself available. I mentioned last week we needed volunteers back in kids' church that would only take 15 minutes on a Sunday morning, and you don't even have to miss main service. And we had, uh, I think, four volunteers back there today that was helping out. So let's give them a big hand. So many people in this church who are not up here but have made themselves available to volunteer to do other things inside and outside of the church, that's discipleship. Amen. Let's go on into all the world and let's preach the gospel and let's make disciples. Let's be a disciple. Let's make ourselves available. If you'll all please stand. I told you some stories today about, for one, the relationship between Carlisle Lake and the Sea of Galilee. And so what I've done is I've planted this little worm in your mind so that any time that you, you think about the Sea of Galilee or reading about it, it's probably going to come through your mind about Carlisle Lake. And hopefully that's going to help to reinforce you in a, in a way that you understand a little better. The main theme of this is why me, why you, and why them? We're available. The very reason why you're standing here today is you say, God, I, I need to hear from you, and let's make ourselves available. Now, if you don't know Christ, or you've never committed yourself to him, all this talk about discipleship, it may just be so foreign to you that you just don't even know what I'm talking about. But the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now and something welling up inside of you, whether you're here or at home, that you might be saying to yourself, I want more of this Christ that you're talking about. I want more of that. I want Him to reign in my life. If that's what you want, 
just cry out to him today and say, Lord, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Take me into your arms. Come into my heart.